Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. This month in July, we're doing a series where we're basically kind of asking the question, uh, what's the meaning of life or what is, is life all about? Um, we put up some uh, stats last week that I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about, but that's just a picture of the uh, average lifespan. You know, got it in, in years, days, hours, minutes, seconds. Uh, so why, you know, why are we here? What is that all about to begin with? Why, why do we exist? Who, who did God want us to be? What does he want us to do in, in our lives? And that's what we're trying to, to explore in, in this series. Matter of fact, uh, we're asking the questions that you see on the columns, uh, behind me. We started out last week by asking the question, who? You know, who am I? And in that we found out that God foundationally created us, made us, uh, but spiritually that he wants to change us, to transform us into being like Jesus. And I'll say a little bit more about that today. Today we're talking about why. Why was I born? Next week, uh, what is my life about? And then close out the series uh, talking about where is my final destination? Just some really important questions that we need to ask each other. The uh, focal passage for the series that I'll probably read each week, because it's really kind of what got me going in this direction, is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, uh, more or less, had gone on an expedition trying to figure out what life is about. And uh, in the first part, uh, we see some of the conclusions that he came up with. He said, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And then he goes on and he says, it is an unhappy business. That's kind of an early conclusion Solomon drew. It is an unhappy business. In other words, life, everything that's taking place here on the earth, it's kind of like an unhappy business that God's given to the children of man to be busy with. I mean, that's not a very inspiring viewpoint of life. It's almost like he's saying, well, you know, God just put us here and gave us a bunch of stuff to make us busy. And then he goes on and he says, and I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's like everything that we're doing from Solomon's viewpoint is like trying to run and catch the wind, which is an impossibility. So that would be a very, very frustrating existence if your existence was trying to do something like catch the wind, which is impossible. Regrettably, a lot of people live their lives with this opinion or attitude. A lot of people go through their day-to-day existence really frustrated because they, they don't really know what life is about. And they just think it's, it's, it's a bunch of unnecessary junk that keeps them busy, that wears them out, and, and they just don't have a lot of hope in their life. Another tragedy of your life is that there's some people really don't give a hoot, you know? They don't worry about it a lot one way or the other. They don't really think about what the meaning of life is. And that's pretty tragic when there is a purpose that God has for us and people are just kind of wanting to ignore that. A third approach people have to trying to figure out life is trying to look within, 
trying to look inside their, their hearts or in, inside their own mind and, and draw their own conclusions and think they can figure out what life is about just by doing this, you know, kind of self-exploration. And I would call that approach speculation. Speculation is just where we draw our own assumptions. We are assuming some things. But there's a better way, I think, if we want to find out what life is about, rather than just speculate ourselves and look within our own hearts, there's something called revelation. And by revelation, I mean this, the very God who made us, the God who created us, the God that created everything, actually reveals to us some things in His Word that can help us figure out what the meaning of life is, what life is all about. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're trying to get some revelation from God about these topics. You know, who am I? God says, I made you. And God having made us, as I said last week, do you you realize there's no such thing as a baby being a mistake? There's no such thing as an illegitimate child, an illegitimate kid. Because God planned that life and God has plans for that life also. So foundationally, God made us. That's, that's who we are. And like I said, spiritually, He wants to transform us. But let's, let's take our second question. Let's ask this question today. And this question is why? You know, why was I ever born? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever kind of thought, well, why in the world was I born? I had the occasion after the first service this morning to counsel with someone uh, just for a few moments. And he sat there and he told me, he said, I, because of some things i faced in my life, I've actually, you know, asked that before. God, why am I even here? Why, why am I not dead already? Why, why, why did you let me be born to start with? So let's try and answer that question then. Why, why was I born? And, and I'm going to kind of answer it as though you're saying it yourself. And one thing that you need to recognize that where you can say yourself about your existence and why you were born is this. I, I was created to be loved by God. The Bible literally tells us that. One of the reasons God created us was to love us. The Bible, interestingly enough, says this about God. It says God is love. Now, and I notice the distinction there because sometimes we'll say, well, God gives love or God loves, but that's not what's said in this passage of Scripture. This verse is saying inherently God himself is love. And because God is love, he, he created us to where we can experience that love. Look at some other things about God being a loving God. We're just going to kind of cover these quickly because I think maybe the main, the main meat or the main message is some other places today. But, but God first loved us, the Bible tells us. Because He first loved us, that gives us a motive to love Him or a motive to love others ourselves. This God who is love that we read about in 1 John a moment ago, He, he did this for us. In, in love, He predestined us. To be adopted, for us to be adopted through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. God loved you so much, He planned you, wanted you to be born in this world, and and He wants you to belong to Him. He wants you to be adopted into His family. That's how important you are to God. Jesus told His disciples this, for the Father Himself loves you. you A lot of times we'll get this idea that nobody cares, nobody loves me. The Bible clearly tells us that God does. The Bible also tells us this. God looked at his people and speaking through Jeremiah said this, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I 
focused on that verse years ago, and that has amazed me over and over again, that God himself, who knows us better than everyone else, will tell us, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Because you see, that's really hard to find in this day and time because people will fall in and out of love, give up on people, turn their back on people for you know almost no reason uh, under the sun. And, and yet God himself here says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've loved you with a love that will never, ever stop. Jesus told Nicodemus that the Father loved the world in this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Jesus talking about himself. God loved the world so much, He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Why why did God make you? Why did God allow you to come into this world? Why were you born? He, He wants to love you. Paul tells us this about God's love. He tells us there's not anything that can separate us from the love of God. He said, I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He clearly tells us that we can't be separated as believers from the love of God. God created you to love you. So before you ever allow yourselves to start having thoughts, well, no one loves me. We do that when we get on a pity party, don't we? Huh? No one cares. No one loves me. Can I remind you of something? The God that created all the universe, the God that's holy, 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 cared enough to make you, to allow you to be born. And that God loves you so much you sent his son to die on a cross. Don't ever, ever allow yourself to think that no one cares because he does. Amen? And, and he, he loves you. But he also created you for this reason. He created you for himself. Man, man, shouldn't that add some value to who you are? To think that God, who created everything, created you for himself. He created you to where you can have pleasure. That's the second thing you need to know this morning. You need to say this about yourself from the Bible telling you this. You were created for God's pleasure. I'm created for God's pleasure. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. We, we ought to ascribe to God glory and honor and power because He's the creator of all things. But notice what He says. He says, For Thy pleasure, for Your pleasure, referring to God, they are and were created. God made us, but the Bible's telling us that God made us for, for His pleasure. The word that's, that's used there in the Greek means a determination, an active choice, a, a purpose, a desire, a, a will. The root word means to determine or to delight in. See, this concept might sound foreign or strange to some people, especially in the culture we live in today, that you were created for God's pleasure. And here's why. I'm afraid that most people today are living life for their own pleasure. Would you maybe agree with that when you look at the world around us? Instead of thinking that God put us here and he put us here so we can actually bring pleasure to him, we're more focused upon what we want in our will. Instead of being focused upon you and I bringing pleasure to God, we're focused upon what brings us pleasure. And yet the Bible tells us that we were created for His pleasure. 
We ought to live our our lives for His determination. We ought to live our lives for His active choices, not our own. We ought to live our lives for His purposes, for His desires, for His will, for His determination. We ought to live our lives to delight Him instead of trying to live our lives to to delight ourselves. And if you'll let that soak in, as I said a moment ago, that, that you are actually made to bring pleasure to God, don't ever sell yourself short. Don't, don't ever, you know, start thinking that, that you don't matter, that you're insignificant. Don't ever have some type of inferiority complex because the Bible literally says that God made you. He made you to love you, but He also made you so you can bring pleasure to God Himself. And that sounds like we're pretty important. If God wants us to bring pleasure to Him, what does it look like? I mean, how, how can we do that? How can we, we bring pleasure to God? Well, the Bible tells us, to start with, I think, that we can bring pleasure to God just through being His people, by belonging to Him. In Psalm 149, the Bible says, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the... Humble with salvation. A different word here in the Hebrew than what we saw in the Greek for, for pleasure. It means to be pleased with or, or to satisfy debt. God actually takes pleasure in, in His people. Last week, we, uh, in the course of the message, talking about God making us, creating us, we, we talked some about birth and how God knit us together and our, our bodies, some scientific stuff we looked at, you know, about DNA and, and laminin and things like that, some amazing stuff about how God uh, put us together. And, and, I, and as I was using childbirth as an illustration last week, I, we, we talked about, you know, how it is when you're there in the parent and you see this amazing miracle of a baby being born. And, and when that happened in, in my life, I, I, I took pleasure in, in seeing my children born. Did you? Did you have some pleasure when you saw your, your child come into the world? Well, we, we do as, as humans, but imagine this. I think the God who planned that baby also takes pleasure, don't you? The God who planned that baby to be born and the God that has plans for that child also takes pleasure in seeing that child just come into this world. But beyond that, jump forward a little bit. What about when that child comes to the point in their life where that child understands they were made for a relationship with God, they have this problem called sin, they repent of their sin, humble themselves before God, and they trust in the God that made them. Imagine how much pleasure that brings to God. So I guess in a roundabout way, I'm saying this. If you want to bring, if you want to bring pleasure to God, just believe in Him. Trust in Him. If you're someone here today that's never said yes to Jesus, you've never believed in Jesus Christ, can I tell you one way you can please God today? It would be to believe in Jesus. That would bring pleasure to God. For, for you to become part of His people. We ought to bring pleasure to Him. But also we can bring pleasure to God like this. We can please God by worshiping Him. By worshiping Him. Jesus was answering a question one time about, you know, what's the most important commandment. And this is part of what He said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Loving God, another way of saying loving God is to worship Him. Because as we worship Him, we're expressing our love toward God. Our love in His direction. 
Psalm 147 says this, the Lord is pleased. Look at how this is phrased. The Lord is pleased only with those who worship him and trust his love. So if if God is pleased only with that, that tells us that as believers, that's what we need to be about. If we want to bring pleasure to God, we need to spend time worshiping God. We need to be sure that authentically we are worshiping him. Do you you realize that mankind was really wired to worship? Do Do you realize that? Anthropologists in their studies, and, and even anthropologists that don't believe that there's a God, uh, based on their studies, will, will admit this. They will say there's a universal urge in the human heart to worship. Because they're drawings in caves, or worshiping the moon, or worshiping the sun, or you know what, whatever it is, there's this universal urge inside man to worship. You can see it in all cultures. Now, we may not worship a right all the time, but, but the truth of the matter is God put this desire in our hearts to where we want to worship. We find fulfillment in worship, and we'll either worship authentically the God that made us, or we will find a substitute to worship, whether it be idols, bugs, animals, or even ourselves sometimes. But God made us to worship. All across humanity, you see this universal urge to worship. But the truth of the matter is, God's the one that we need to worship. God even desires worshipers. Jesus talked to a woman at the well one day, and this is what he said to her, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And notice what he says, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God seeks us to worship Him. He wants us to worship Him in spirit and truth. That being said, we need to define what worship really is because I'm afraid a lot of times we think of worship and when we hear the word worship, we think of a worship service, you know? We think of worship as being songs or we think of worship as being a sermon or a message or we think of worship as as going to church, and, and part of those things have to do with worship, but that's not really what worship is. Worship is more than a, than a service. Worship is more than a, than a gathering of people. Worship is more than, than just words we say or sing. Worship is not even about a certain style of music because sometimes we get hung up on that and think, well, I can worship with this style of music, but I can't worship with that style of music. Do you realize that worship happens in the Bible before the word music is ever mentioned? So worship doesn't have just to do with music. It's not about a certain style or a certain form. Worship also, you need to be aware of this. Worship is really about God and it's not about you. Worship is for God's benefit. It's for us to express our love to Him. It's not really for our benefit. In a worship service, in a worship setting, we may be encouraged, we might be blessed, we might be built up, but but ultimately the main focus of worship is not us. The main focus of worship is God Himself. And, and, if, and if somehow you, have you ever heard anyone say, well, man, I just didn't get anything out of that worship service. You ever heard that? You know, someone think that. You might have thought that yourself. I might have thought that myself. 
You know, the truth of the matter is, when we're thinking like that, we've got our focus all wrong. If, if you ever hear someone say, I didn't get anything out of that worship service, just tell them, hey, your focus was all wrong. It wasn't about you, it was about God. It wasn't about how you feel about yourself. That's not what the worship service was about. Instead, the worship service was about bringing pleasure to God. It's not about bringing pleasure to yourself. Worship is not about ourselves. Worship is about us expressing our love to God. And if we get it twisted, our focus is completely off. Look what's said here in Colossians. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and what's the rest of it, and what, and for him. Worship's not about me, and it's not about you. Our, our worship is to be for him. Worship is about us having our hearts toward God. It's not just about the exteriors. The Lord said this through Isaiah because, to his own people because he was upset the way they were, they were approaching him in worship. And, and the Lord said, because his people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Do you see what he's saying? God's kind of upset. And he's saying, the only reason you really fear me is because you've been taught to by the commandment of other men. That's why you fear me. And when you come before me to worship me, you're just bringing words to me. You're just honoring me with your mouth and with your lips and what you say. And what God is really saying is this, I'm interested in your heart being toward me. That's what worship is. Well, why did God make us? Why did God allow the human race to exist? Why were you born? Why was I born? God made us to love us, but God also created us to where we can bring pleasure to Him. And one way we do that is through our, through our worship. Worshiping God is fundamentally what your life ought to be about. And to prove that, I'm just going to read several scriptures. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence. What does the Word say? What does that say? Continually. Man, that sounds like more often than Sunday every now and then, huh? Really? So Psalm 113, verse 3, for the rising, From the rising of the sun to its set in the name of the Lord is to be praised. David says, At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. He said later on in Psalm 119, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Psalm 63 says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I shall sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know what we need to remember when we can't sleep at night? You know what we tend to do? I mean, I'm being transparent myself. What we tend to be, you want to go to sleep and you can't, you get frustrated, don't we, a lot of times? You know, maybe what we ought to do, do what David just said. Lay there and remember him. And remember what he's done for you. And rejoice in him. 
And in the stillness of the night, understand He's there upholding you with His hand. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually, there's that word again, be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He's given this invitation now for, for us to join in with Him. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. God created us to bring pleasure to Him. And one way we do that is through our worship. We see, worship also involves what we do. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes these words, So whether you eat, or drink, or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. You know what the secret of worship, the statement I put up there, the secret of of real worship is? It would be you and I doing everything as though we're doing it specifically and personally for Jesus. Wouldn't that radically change the way you look at your life? I mean, first of all, if... It would cause us to kind of evaluate, well, this thing that I kind of like doing over here, is it really being done for Jesus? If not, then maybe I'll leave it alone. But also it would help us in the other areas where the things specifically we know that it's okay for us to do and be involved with. If we do it with a focus that we're doing it for Jesus, it changes and transforms the way we look at it. Think, think about some of your lives even. You see, there, there are some of you that are lucky enough to, to have some type of job or position in life that's very fulfilling. And you're energized by it and you love to do it and you're happy about what you get to do in your life. Maybe you're getting to do what you studied to do in college or whatever the case is. But, but there might also be some of you that feel like you're having to do something very mundane and you don't find it very fulfilling at all. And you, you know, it's kind of a drudgery when you go to do it and, and, and everything. But, but think how this would, would radically change our approach to what we do. He said, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If we would focus upon what we're doing, if it's sweeping a stinking floor, if we would remind ourselves we're doing it for the glory of God, it would revolutionize the way we can live our lives. Paul even told slaves. Now, now think about that for a moment. If you'll read the context in Colossians, he is specifically talking to slaves right before he says this. And he tells these slaves, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. He's addressing people who have been saved and they're slaves and they have another master that kind of literally owns them and they're having to serve and work for. And yet Paul looks at these slaves who are not really slaves anymore because they've been set free by Jesus. And even though they might literally be a slave still physically, Eternally, they've been set free. And he tells these slaves, here's the way you make it through your existence as a slave. Whatever you do, do it hardly as for the Lord, not for men. Even if you're having to serve a master that's been mean to you, do it unto the Lord and not to men. We're, we're to worship God. He created us to love us. He created us that we might bring pleasure to Him, that we might, that we might worship Him. Romans 12.1 in the message is a paraphrased version, but I really like the way this puts Romans 12.1. says this, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, 
You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. Well, they kind of cover it all. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Why were you born? You were born for God to, to love you. And you're also born to love God in return. We were born to bring pleasure to God. By being His people, by trusting in Him, by, by worshiping Him. Now we can also bring pleasure to God by, by being obedient, serving Him. I'm not going to say a lot about that because guess what next week's about? You know, the topic, what am I supposed to do in my life? But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We as parents, you know, we, we love our kids. We love our kids when they let us down and when they, you know, make us proud and everything like that. But, but still, you know, you love your kids because they're your kids. But when they are obedient and when they are serving in some way, it kind of gives you a special blessing. I think that's true of God too. We can bring pleasure to Him. God just gave me a moment here that I need to share with you because I didn't plan on putting it in. But as I say that, I look out at a mother whose daughter right now is in Guatemala. And she spent her summer in Guatemala because that's where Jill is. And I kind of looked out. Sandy was shaking her head, smiling when I said that. And I was going to mention this at the end of the service, and we are going to have those that are getting ready to leave to go to Guatemala to come up at the end of the service and pray over them. But, but Jill, I think Friday was it, Friday or something. And uh, for six days, she's in the jungle, uh, her and Tanner, to, you know, trying to reach out and, and share the gospel with some Mayan tribes people. That don't necessarily sound safe. So we need to pray f- for their safety. But as I look back there and I said that, I saw her smile shaking her head. Because she knows her daughter's being obedient and that was bringing her pleasure. But imagine the pleasure it's bringing to God. God made us to love us. God, God created us. He, he gave you life so you can bring pleasure to Him. But the third thing, the last thing I want you to get today is, is this. You also need to say this about yourself because this is what the Bible says. I I was created to become like Christ. I was created to become like Christ. That's God's goal for you. Romans 8, 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, notice this, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Do you see that? God knew you in eternity past. God knew the exact moment you would be born. And God has this goal for you. God has a goal for you to be conformed into the image of His Son. He created you for you to be like Jesus. I was created to become like Christ. That's God's goal. We'll look at three things about that. First of all, God's goal. God's goal. God created you and me with the ultimate goal. Of making us like his own son. That's why he created us. He wanted us to be made like his son. In Genesis, when God was talking about creating man, we read this last Sunday also. It said, then, then God said, let us make man. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God created you. He wants you to be like Jesus. 
Out of everything else that God ever created, only man is made in the image of God. We, we, have, a, we, have, we have spirits that will live on throughout eternity, somewhere. When, when the expiration date of this body is gone, you don't stop existing at that point. You have an eternal spirit that God's given you. We, we have an ability to be intellectual and to reason and to think that God gave us. God made us to be relational, to, to need each other and, and to need Him. God created us in a lot of ways like Himself. God's given us a moral conscience. Even, even people that have never read the Bible, there are cultures in, in the deepest, darkest jungles that still have a sense of right and wrong because God has placed a moral conscience upon them. But God's, God's goal for you, He created you with this ultimate goal of making you in His likeness, in His image. What does that look like? Here's what the Bible tells us. Christ, who's the image of God. Colossians, He is the image, talking about Jesus, of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. I love the way Hebrews chapter 1 puts it. He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. Notice this, and the exact imprint of His nature. If you want to understand what God is like, look at Jesus. And that is who God wants to make you like. He created you to become like His Son, to become like Jesus. He wants you to be the exact image of His Son. God's goal for you is not to be like your favorite movie star. God's goal for you is not to be like your favorite sports hero. Everybody can't be like Mike. You understand that? God's goal for you is not for you to be like your favorite rock star. God's goal for you is not to be like some politician. Thank God for that. Amen? God's goal for you is to be like His Son. But it's a growth process. Next slide. It's a growth process. God wants you to grow spiritually to be more and more like Jesus. Now, by me saying a growth process, understand something. The, the, the moment you receive, the instant you receive Christ as your Savior, God imputes the very righteousness of His Son to your account. So eternally, and as far as your sins are and everything like that, when He looks at you, what He sees is the righteousness of His Son. Thank God for that. Amen? But in a practical way, becoming like Jesus is a process. It's kind of like this thing we call discipleship. Have you ever heard of it before? See, the, the, the moment you were saved, whether you were saved, maybe you were saved in a church, and during the invitation, you came up and you knelt and you prayed and you, you know, admitted, you agreed with God, admitted to God you're a sinner, you could not save yourself, you believed in Jesus, 
and what he did on the cross for your forgiveness, for your eternal life. But even though you did that, the moment you prayed, you couldn't hop up and say, I'm super Christian. Because it's a growth process. Just like our physical children go through a growth process. They don't start eating meat, running track the day they're born. It's a growth process. And that's true of you and I becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a growth process. To where we need to be allowing Him day in and day out to mold our lives. Look at what He tells us here in Ephesians. And He gave, talking about God, giving these to help do what I just talked about. God gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, or pastor-teachers, some believe, it says, to equip. Notice why they're given. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be like children, no longer be like someone that's not growing up, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, because we are mature and we're growing in Christ, we can speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. What did that just tell us? God has put people in our lives to help build us up to where we become like Jesus. The growth process. Why did God put you in this world? He wants you to become like Jesus. That's his ultimate goal. But it is a growth process that needs to be happening now. You need to be allowing God to transform your life and change your life and teach you things now to where you become more and more, more like Jesus. Don't think it works like this or it, because it shouldn't work like this. Some people try and make it work like this. I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. So now uh, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to kind of do what I want to do and, you know, live my life and I'll wait one day till Jesus comes against me and then I'll shout glory forevermore. He wants you to be growing now. He has the goal for you to be like Jesus. And for some of us right now, we might feel a little bit bad about that because we might be thinking, mm, I've not been growing like I need to. I've not been investing time in it like I need to. I'm kind of stagnant. I'm kind of like a baby still in Christ, even though I've been saved all these years and, and, and all. But, but I've got some good news for you to close with. I'm, I'm not trying to let you off the hook. You still need to be growing as a Christian. But can I, can I tell you what your ultimate destiny is, why God created you? You have a glorious destiny one day. One day God will ultimately, completely, finally, totally transform you to be like Jesus. For eternity to be like Christ. First John 3 2, we find these words, Beloved, we're God's children now. In other words, we've trusted in Christ, we're God's children now. 
And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we, we have not arrived yet. We're not <laughs> exactly where we should be. We don't even exactly know what that is fully like. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. i got to be honest with you. I'm kind of looking forward to that day, aren't you? I get sick and tired of living with Lynn Parsons sometimes. I was giving my, chance, my wife a chance to say amen. That's why I hesitated. You ever get fed up with living with yourself and your own failures and where you are now and where you think you should be? And, and I'm thankful there's coming a day when I will see Jesus face to face. And I don't know, as even John wrote there, he didn't know exactly fully what that looks like, but he says when he appears, we'll be like him. Amen. Why were you born? Why did God create you? He created you to love you. He created you so you could love Him in return. So, so, so you can, can please Him, bring pleasure to God. But He also created you. So you can become like Jesus Christ. He wants to make you. Like Jesus. Where are you today in that endeavor? I mean, have you even trusted in Christ at all? Do you know for sure that He's your Savior? Have you trusted in Him? God says that He takes pleasure in, in His people. Are you part of His people? And if you don't know that for sure... I want to remind you, the reason God gave you life is not for you to live it for yourself. He gave you life because He wants to make you like Him. He wants to make you like Jesus. So where are you in it? And maybe you're absolutely convinced that you know Christ as your Savior without any doubt. And I hope that's true of everyone here. And thank God for that if it is. I hope that's true of everyone here that you know for sure but you know, just maybe you're not where you feel like you need to be. Maybe you're not at the growth stage you feel like you should be. Maybe you've not been worshiping God like you feel like you should. Maybe you show up in worship making it all about you and you go away being unfulfilled. Can I ask you to try something different? Show up and make it about Him and worship Him. It might just change the way you feel about worship. God created you to love you, for you to bring pleasure to Him, to make you like Jesus. Let's pray. God, forgive us when we make it about ourselves. Forgive us when we live our lives like we have the right to ignore the very God who made us. God, we're amazed that you would even have a thought to want to bring human beings into existence. 
We're amazed that you've created us. We're amazed that you've put up with us. Because so many times we've rebelled. God, wake us up and help us to see what our lives are supposed to be about. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they've never, they've never come to you, they've never nailed to the cross, they've never admitted that they can't do it, they, they've never been transparent and admitted that they're a sinner that can't save themselves. Father, if there's someone here and that's their condition, help them to understand right now that you made them, you brought them into this world for a very high purpose. And through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, right now, if they will believe in Him, you will forgive them of their sins and change their eternal destiny, but also change their life. So, Father, we pray. We, God, we, we ask You if there's someone here that needs to trust in You, please, right now, speak to their heart and give them the faith they need to say yes. Forgive us if we're, we as believers are not where we should be. Forgive us if we've made it about pleasing ourselves instead of pleasing You. Help us to grow up into Christ. Help us to become all that You want us to be. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.